Welcome to The Flipside with Her Black Book, a podcast powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. I'm Julie Stavanya. And I'm Sally Sassi. Together, we're the founders of premium shopping and discovery app, Her Black Book, where you can find a curation of exclusive deals, cashback promotions, and new arrival alerts from all your favorite brands. Our app, Her Black Book, is available for download on iOS and Android now. Every Thursday, we'll be in your ears delivering honest, insightful interviews and action-driven conversations with our diverse lineup of influential guests across business, brands, and technology. We are lifting the lid on the thrills and spills that come with building and working within a tech-driven business. At the end of each episode, we'll deliver our listeners a very special exclusive offer from our Her Black Book brand partners. So to kick off the series, we're going to share a little bit more about us. That's right. Now, some people might know that Sally and I are actually twin sisters, so we pretty much know nearly everything about each other. So instead, we actually put a call out on our HBB Instagram so that people could submit questions that they would like to ask us. So the first question is, who came up with the idea for her black book? Well, Sally, you deserve the credit for this one. So yeah, um, that really came down to being a consumer experiencing a pain point. So I remember it was for our 40th birthday. I was shopping for this stunning green sequin Rixo dress from a multi-label retailer in Double Bay, but online. And I remembered um, that they had actually sent me a discount um, voucher that was emailed to me because you're a VIP, right? And you spent so much money. And they well, were like, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I was looking for this voucher in my inbox and for the life of me, I could not find it. And it wasn't that I needed it, but I was like, well, if I'm entitled to a discount, I'm going to use it. Of course. And what ended up happening was I started just going down an internet rabbit hole where I was researching on forums and, you know, looking up whether it was beauty, fashion, um, kids, homewares. And what I realized is that there were thousands and thousands of women looking for retail information. They were asking things like, does anyone have a discount code for this store? Does anyone have a refer a friend code? Who knows when this shopping event is on? Um, and it went on and on and on. So that's when I realized there was a real consumer need for an app like Her Black Book. Yeah. And I think that that trend is only growing where people are really reaching out to forums and searching for it. But the other thing is not just in forums, like even individually, I've gone down that rabbit hole on Google where you search for a code and then you land on some website that you've never heard of before and you click something that you probably shouldn't. And it's like, well, have I just downloaded a virus <laughs> to my my phone? Um, and you just don't have that central place that you trust. So for those that don't know how Her Black Book works, what we've done on the back of that idea that Sally came back with is we've really centralised all of the retail incentives that are out there in the market. So if there is a shopping event that's running, we'll pull them all together in the app so you can see everyone that's participating, can see all the different discount levels. Um, we often get hundreds of exclusives. So every month we have over a 1,000 um, unique or 1,000 brand deals um, in the app. And we have many of those are exclusive just to her black book. So we've partnered directly with all of these brands we're talking about the world's best brands, right? Like Sally, do you want to talk about some of the ones? That well, we've you got everything most... from like your general pants to your ASOS, all the way through to our luxury labels, being Stella McCartney, Gucci, um, you know, Star Runner, P Nation, JS Health, pretty much everything across a number of categories. So, you know, what I would probably advise listeners, if you haven't done so already, is download the app. It is free to download and it'll literally give you hundreds of discounts at your fingertips. So we are not only just saving you money, but we are saving you time. You will not need to Google again. 
Yeah, and it's not about um, you know retailers needing to do that more often. It's just about the fact that retailers are already doing this. And so if you just centralize that and put it all in one place, it's really easy for you to browse and get that information at your fingertips. Um, one of the other things I'm really excited about and love about the app is you know the feature that we launched in May. So we have new features that go live um, pretty much every two to three weeks is our sort of development sprint. And in May, we launched our cashback as well. And there are so many women who do not know about cashback. Like it blows me away. Like guys are getting all the value. Like they know about this. They're on top of it. I know this is a generalization, but we really wanted to like actually increase awareness. Absolutely. And I think it wasn't even something that I was even aware of until we started developing this app. Um, But to literally be given money back for purchases you make and it sits there in your wallet and it's just more money for you to whether it's to spend or invest or, you know, top up your super with, I think that's pretty phenomenal. And like when you're getting a good percent back from, say, Net-A-Porter, I mean, you're buying a designer handbag or something. I mean, these these can really add up. So um, this is one way that we can actually help women, you know, kind of be savvy and get great value. And still, you know, shop the brands they love. Julie, talk about the Style Runner Inception. Well, I was living in London at the time. I was working for a super cool startup over there. So it was streaming video on demand like Netflix, but for art house, cult, indie film. Um, I was literally having the time of my life. And side note, got to go to the Cannes Film Festival, which was so good. That was like the yearly highlight of our role. Yeah, we got to walk the red carpet next to stars. Literally, that red carpet was so good. So we'd not have left that role because I was having the best time ever. But then I had this idea. I was going to Bikram yoga every morning before work. So I was really into my Bikram. And then as a girl who loves to shop, I thought, okay, I need to get some cool activewear. And I couldn't believe that even living in London, going to the sports stores was just such a, you know, not a very exciting experience. Well, this is going back like a decade yeah. ago. It was a long time ago when sports store experiences were, you remember what they were like. Um, and so it was just really hard. So then I sort of started Googling it and I found like a few fringe things. And I mean, I was literally Googling like yoga wear hungry. Like every country, I was just searching around the world for it because um, that's the lengths that I go to. Like I stop at nothing. And so I found some cool stuff coming out of like Brazil and things. But like that, who's going to be able to shop that way? I can't expect every consumer to do that. Um, so I thought, let's start a business. And so I called you up, had this idea, said, should we start this business? And, and I'm we always like, up for an adventure. So I'm like, yes, let's do it. Two saggies on an adventure? <laughs> like, for sure. So, yeah, we, we really didn't know what we had ahead of us, did we? No. And it was pretty much like I quit my job the next day and you flew home. Um, and then we pretty much just hit the ground running. Yeah. Started doing all of this research. And the good thing is in the sportswear space, there's actually a lot of public, um, you know, public companies. So you can get a lot of information. So I was doing all the researching. Sally was doing all the domain name buying, <laughs> just making it feel real. And I think we had some like vision boards. We had like all these cutouts from, you know, sports magazines and things like that. And the business was born. So what about the division of responsibilities? Mm. I think from the very beginning, you took care of a lot of the operational stuff. So you hired people, trained them, got them like learning how to pick and pack, like that whole side of the business fell under you and you were really, really good at that. Um, and you're also a pretty hard taskmaster. So I feel like you're like the best person to just push <laughs> I don't operations. know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compliment in business because I'm not as much and I feel like that's actually a, a good thing to have. 
Um, and I think I did a lot of the strategy and the business modeling. Um, you know, I think I did a lot of the – actually, I did the buying and the planning. Mm, you did at the beginning. Uh, for years. And planning, you know, I came to know is like uh, a very particular science. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I was fairly analytical Um and, you know, so I had my own, you know, sort of rules of thumb, but I would go to every single retail conference there was and just like write down everything. And I heard someone talk about an open to buy and, you know, in terms of managing your inventory. And I was like, what is an open to buy? And wrote that down and just I literally Googled everything that I had to do. So I just kind of did it the best I knew how, went and researched it, became good at it until we had the funds to hire people. Mm. Like we finally got a planner and it was just like I think amazing. one of the things you touched on then was about going to a conference and then going back and like, you know, researching it. I remember that we were part of a um, entrepreneurs like group basically um, mm. where you would go along for say two two or three days out of every two months yeah. um, and you would go and learn and you would go and you know listen to um, other people in the industry talk and I remember you and I were like totally there sitting there with our notebooks and our pens and we were writing down all of these learnings and then at the end of those seminars everyone would go out for dinner and drinks and party and you and I would go back to the office and we would literally start implementing everything we learned and applying it to the business and I think that's probably why we had um such quick success. Number one, we found a gap in the market, so we were able to penetrate it quite quickly. Um, but our momentum was strong, and that's probably something that we do, you know, yeah. even now. We yeah. really are about not wasting time, like getting There's the information. no time to lose. Absolutely. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> Speaking of the entourage, that just reminded me of like one of the worst things I've ever had to do, which was skydive. It was part of those groups where, you know, you have to like walk on fire at the end to prove that you've like built this resilience. And I'm already resilient. I can be resilient, but we had to go skydiving. And so, I, of course, I did it. It's a group exercise. Um, it was not exhilarating. <laughs> I would definitely not do that again. You would not recommend it. <laughs> so one of the fun things about Style Runner was um, pitching for capital 10 years ago, um, you know, a business that was essentially around activewear. Around activewear for women. For women and going to every VC meeting and every person I pitched it to was male. It was like so demoralizing, you know, like if you were, if there were more female investors even, I'm sure that they would instantly understand what I was talking about with, with respect to activewear, just, you know, kind of thriving and just growing in popularity. But, um, you know, I was pitching to people who didn't understand our market. Um, I think there's already a little bit of bias, right? I hate to say it, but I think a lot of investment mm. is done because there's, you know, kind of one degree of separation and, you know, people have gone through the same schools or all of those sorts of things, which, you know, look, I don't I don't spend too much dwelling on that. Um, but I think that there has been historically a fair bit of that. So you're coming in already as a bit of an outsider and then no one understood your industry. Like that was that was, that was pretty... tough. And it was I remember it being so difficult as well because we had all the runs on the board and we were like achieving oh, the phenomenal sex. Absolutely thriving. It was, you know, growing virally like mm. we spent zero dollars on marketing and we grew a thousand percent in three years and we had like nike hq in portland fly us over to connect with their team we were the first global partners to lululemon online like we were kicking goals and yet we were talking to these people and it was like talking to brick walls can i say that yeah i feel like i can because really it was it was falling on deaf ears yeah but you kind of have to accept that. The truth of it is you're going to speak with, say, 100 people and there's like 
80% of those whose investment mandates just won't line up with what you're doing. They have really got something that they are looking for and it changes at different times in the market, whether they're looking to minimise risk or whether they're looking to get in really early and you're literally trying to line up a you know a kind of mm. bullseye and it's only in that 20% with which you actually fall pretty close to the bullseye that they, you then have a really meaningful conversation. But you still have the entire well, first part of your pitch to each hundred of those people, hoping you might get them closer to being interested. And the reality is kind of a, you're already losing from, you know, mm. stepping foot in the office. And I think a part of that is really hard, especially when you're entering a new idea to market. So for us, it was entering this, you know, beautifully curated online sportswear for women that had never been done anywhere globally. Well, get this. You would think that venture capital is interested in innovation, right? right? They're investing in things that, you know, but... I actually read, not to use the word innovative, in your pitch deck because essentially innovation means it hasn't been done before and that's high risk. So you've got to understand things from their point of view too. Every venture capital, you know, kind of firm or, you know, private equity, they are trying to make money for their um, limited partners who have invested in them, but they also do need to manage the risk. So unfortunately, that's the reality. They're looking at something and if it sounds risky, then they're going to have question marks. And so that is this conundrum with creating innovation. So they want to back innovation, but only if it's been tried and tested. Yeah, (laughs) once it's proven. And so you have to find someone who's got enough of an appetite to go, this is innovative and I believe in the team, etc. Um, and it's a small, small pool. I think on the flip side of that, it's also like you want also a um, VC partner or a, an investor who thinks like you. You actually want someone who is willing to say, you know what, this might not have been done before, but let's give it a crack. And let's actually be the first time innovators in this space. Um, And I think that if you've got someone who is overly cautious, like, yes, you've got to have smart business sense. But if you've got someone who is overly cautious, then that really does kill the magic. Yeah, look, it's really about, you know, shared beliefs and, you know, kind of shared risk appetite, you know. So, um, it is a, a tricky thing to find that the pool just keeps shrinking, but then you end up, you know, with a with a pool of hopefully enough parties to to get your business funded. But it is not for the faint hearted venture capital pitching. <laughs> you'll go, you'll rock yourself to sleep many a time. <laughs> okay, so what came after Sarana? So for me, I went and lived in Bali with my um, amazing husband, who, as you know, is a chef, a very good chef, a very good chef. So we went over to Bali and lived there for about nine months, um, and I really lived the life. Like I was there with the kids. He was uh, working in a couple of restaurants, helping set up a couple of restaurants over there. Um, and it's actually funny story. It's actually where I registered the domain name Her Black Book because whilst I was sipping cocktails, I actually had a quirk where I would buy and sell domain names. Um, it was just something that I kind of read online and discovered for myself. Um, and that was a name that I was like, I'm going to use this one day. I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to hold on to it. So that was back in 2018. Um, from there, when we relocated back to Australia, we ended up going to Adelaide and opening up a wine bar. So Lee Street Wine Room um, won some great awards. Yes. So won like best wine bar in Australia. Um, and then we sold that last year to relocate back to Sydney and do HBB. I know. I'm like, I almost can't believe because that's such a fantastic bar. And, you know, Nathan is so talented, but it was a huge sacrifice for you guys to give that up, move here, where obviously you knew the office would be based. There's a lot of talent here in Sydney. There's a lot of, you know, kind of the tech industry here. Um, But that's a huge commitment that you guys did it. Like, I almost 
I heard it coming. I just didn't believe until I saw it and then you made it happen. I'm really about just like going with the flow and, you know, I'm not someone who's grounded to certain things and overly sentimental. Um, As I said, you know, I'm actually quite basic. So it was like, let's go here, let's go there. I'm like, cool, let's do it. Um, I think life is too short to not live an adventurous one. So I think that's the Sagittarian in us, the natural wanderers. Like I've lived around the world a bit as well. We just, yeah think, yeah, if you got the opportunity to do it, it's definitely some of like the most uh, fondest memories. The flip side with Her Black Book is brought to you by the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Z Flip 4. It's time to unfold your world. Available now at samsung.com. What about you, post Star Runner, which obviously we all know I poached you from? <laughs> <laughs> so look, Star Runner was acquired by um, Accent Group uh, a couple of years ago, and I stayed on after that and um, continued to lead the business. Then I got pregnant and had my little baby. And so I took mat leave and I totally took the mat leave that, you know, I needed to have, which was tools down, um, out of office on, and just was really present and, you know, kind of did the mum thing and did that really wholeheartedly until and I actually did go back to Star Wars and I did mm. some project work and, and help um, launch a couple of things there just on a project basis. And then you came knocking. And so then when you first came to me with the idea, I started just working on your strategy and things like that. And I was doing both of them because the project work at Star Runner was part-time. And then I just loved it so much that I moved over. That you jumped ship. I did. <laughs> <laughs> question from Rebecca. So you're twins, but you seem so different. How would you each describe the other? Okay, Jules, you go first. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So yes, we are very, very different. I would say that Sally, I mean, when I think about her, she's super social. She is like, she just connects with people so easily. I'm um, a lot more timid, I would say. So Sally's really great with people. And she's also just like such a go-getter. I just feel like when I think of her in a business context, I always think of like momentum. Like she's always pushing stuff forward every single day. Whereas I'm more of a thinker, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> I would say that um, Julie's definitely more like refined and elevated and nerdy. Um, for those who are listening and don't know this little bit of uh, trivia, she's actually Mensa. Mensa means that she is super smart. I think like in the top 2%. It's a no big deal. It's <laughs> a 2%. Mensa is in the top 2%, yes. Yeah, so pretty amazing. Um, Whereas, you know, I quit school in year 10 and I basically went and worked full-time straight away. So I think there are a lot of differences from the type of personalities we have. You know, I'm always like on the go, talk to me in dot points, like let's just go, 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 action, action, action. Whereas Julie, I would say, is more considered. She's definitely a deep thinker. I'm an analyzer. I like to analyze everything. And I know we need to move at pace when you're in a startup, but I will seriously stay up if I have to, to spend hours and hours in the evening or into late into the night to do the analysis that I feel is necessary to have the data at my fingertips to like back up what we're about to do. I just, I just like to have that behind me. And I'm like, hand me the information over so that I can go and execute it. Um, so in that case, yes, we're polar, you know, opposites and very different, but we actually work really well in synergy together. So a question from Annie, similar line of thinking, being twins, are you competitive with each other? Um, I don't think so, really, because we are so different. I wouldn't say we compete. Like, you know, in um, high school, I used it to my advantage. I would sit next to Julie in maths class and I would literally get her to 
do my maths exams. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't say we're competitive at all. I would say that we're complementary and we use it to each other's advantage points. I don't remember doing your maths exams, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you somehow convinced me <laughs> to do that because you're very convincing. But I would say that also probably that's one thing that's been to our benefit is because we have such different interests. Um, we haven't really needed to be competitive. Like I remember, here's a little tidbit about Sally. When she was younger, she used to compete in gymnastics. And we had like a bar and beams in our backyard installed so that Sally could do her little flips and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I was like, nowhere was I even going near those. So she got to kind of like excel at her stuff and I got to go and watch her at comps and be supportive. And then I do like, maths competitions. No joke. <laughs> I, I did maths competitions. It was the best. <laughs> um, okay, next question. Okay, what are your initial steps when you think you have a business idea with legs? Okay, let's try and um, condense these into some short, sharp tips, Jules. So for me, I think once I've got an idea and I've researched it to a point that I'm comfortable, it's about action and making small steps at a time. So for me, the first thing is go to godaddy.com, register your domain name, go to all your social um, outlets, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, and reserve all of the handles. That's already one part done. Um, then it is about, you know, thinking about your branding. So I'm all about getting things into motion and getting that momentum started. You are the queen of momentum. Like I think that's one of the most powerful things about you because I think once you start one thing, it just starts a ball rolling. And before you know it, you just look back on the progress you've made. Look, for me, um, there's a book I read, which is, you know, it's a real, it's a classic. It's really about building an MVP. Um, so your minimum viable product. And the book is called The Lean Startup. And it really is how can you spend the least amount of money to validate your idea? So don't go ahead and build this enormous thing. Build the smallest version you can to prove that consumers not only like your idea, but are willing to pay for it. So I would read that book, you know, take that lean approach to it. And that could save you a lot of, you know, kind of time and money um, so that you've got some data and, and you can go in the right direction. Yeah. I think the other thing as well is don't wait till you have all the answers. You'll find them along the way. If you're waiting to make sure that every single checkbox is ticked before you start, for me personally, I feel like, you know, next thing you know, a year's passed and someone else has taken your idea or you've lost an entire year of um, a, you know, time in the market that you really could have made some important traction. Yeah, there's a really famous principle. I think it comes from Amazon and it talks about one-way decisions or two-way decisions. And essentially what that means is that if something is reversible, if you can actually fix that along the road, don't spend too much time on it. Just go ahead and make some momentum. You'll learn whether it works or not. If something is, you know, critical and it's going to be very expensive or very difficult to change. So whether that is the type of technology you're going to build it on, your, you know, I mean, even a brand name can be changed. Mm -hmm. um, so we know that. So they're the ones that you spend more time on getting right. Everything else, move quickly. Get comfortable with moving ahead with 70% of the information. You don't need to wait until you've got 100. Absolutely. And a final one would be ensure you hire the right team around you. So Style Runner, we obviously hired um, juniors first before we kind of went up and, and hide the execs. HBB, we've kind of done the reverse. Well, I guess it depends if you can afford it because we had to, we really um, bootstrapped Style Runner, which means, you know, we had our own money um, going into things and we had to like get the, you know, kind of grow the sales and keep expanding the business that way. We eventually did get some funding, but it was pretty conservative. With um, Her Black Book, we were able to get on a phenomenal investor and Sally got some friends and family money on early as well. And then we got on, um, you know, a really 
respected uh, institutional financer who came on personally, um, Andrew Hagger. He has been a supporter of ours from the early days. And look, that allowed us to take that path. So it's a great thing to say, you know, get a good team around you, but it's very different to be able to afford it. So, you know, there's pros and cons with financing too, you know. So look, every, every person and every business takes a different path. Um, you're very lucky if you can bring on a, a team to help you with it for sure. And finally, um, the last bit I will add is be comfortable with the money you are going to invest. So, you know, it's money that you need to consider if you don't succeed and you lose it, are you going to be able to sleep at night? Is it going to cause troubles within your relationships at home or wherever you've borrowed it from? They're the things that you really need to be comfortable with before even starting business um, because if not, that'll just weigh you down from the get-go. The pressure and the stress of trying to make it work in case case things go bust, uh, will slow you down faster than anything else. Yeah, you really need to be comfortable with the risk that you are taking on. We've got a very special treat for our listeners. Colt Homeware brand in the Roundhouse is giving you an exclusive 20% off site-wide via her black book, but only until Sunday. To access the exclusive code and get your shop on, download the Her Black Book app on iOS or Android now. Julie, what was it like seeing Sally go through breast cancer? Um... Oh, that was, you know, probably like one of the toughest times of our lives. We were really young. So obviously twins were the same age. Were we 26, 27? 27. 27 years old. And like, I could not believe it. Sally called me. She was crying. She said, basically, she had gotten this envelope from her GP that she had to take to a specialist. And she opened it and she Googled like what it was. And it was um, essentially the the translation on, on Google of those medical terms was cancer. And it hadn't been confirmed. She wasn't even supposed to open that envelope. But she basically called me saying, this diagnosis is saying, I, you know, I think I've got I've got." I'm cancer. pretty sure I even rang you saying, oh, my God, I don't understand what these words are. It says carcinoma of the right breast. Uh, Julie, to me, was like an encyclopedia or, or Google herself. So I was like, what does it mean? <laughs> and I literally mean, I, she Googled it. Yeah, I would have Googled it. <laughs> and she was Google like, everything. oh, my God, I think you have cancer. Um, well... Then I remember we were like, okay, what are we going to do? And you told me that your doctor, I think, had booked you in, but you didn't have an appointment for three or four weeks, I Mm. think. It was weeks and weeks away. And I just knew that, you know, in some of these circumstances, you don't have much time. So I called, I literally researched all of the, you know, kind of best places to to get treatment. And one of those came came up was the... Peter McCallum Cancer Clinic. Peter McCallum Cancer Clinic in Melbourne. Sally was living in Melbourne. I called them up and basically said, I need an appointment for my sister. Um, and I was basically crying on the phone and they were like, you'd need a, you know, kind of a referral and all of these things that we just couldn't get done in time. And somehow they made an exception because I was crying on the phone and I think they take private patients, but somehow we, we got in as a, and we literally got in two days time. Yeah. Within two days. And it was taken on as a case study. So, um, you know, somehow, I don't know how you managed to do it, but you did. Seems to be that you're just as convincing as I <laughs> in some cases. Um, but yeah, we ended up getting on board and, you know, it was quite a, a daunting experience. Um, we have absolutely zero family history of any cancer um, and being so young and having that, I think it was, um, you know, quite a shock to the family. I was living in Melbourne by myself, like Julie said, um, and I was really guarded about who I would allow to come and be a part of that journey. I wouldn't let my mum come and vis- visit me. I wouldn't let my dad or my other sisters Um, But Julie was the only one that I kind of granted permission to um, see me go through that. And for me, it was about, I suppose, you know, being vulnerable is something that is really challenging for a lot of people. But for me in particular, 
I'm someone who likes to present myself as being quite resilient and strong. And it was more about protecting those around me rather than myself. Um, and so I didn't want anyone, you know, kind of being in my space and, and seeing them upset because then I would feel responsible for putting them in that position. Yeah. But you need you need someone. So then that was me. And and so, yeah, I remember walking in like just that, that day, that first time we walked up to the, you know, and you see that big sign, the cancer hospital and... You know, it really hits you in the gut. Um, and then, you know, we were we had fantastic support there and they basically got you in for an operation within, was it days? Mm. It was like two days later you're going in for an operation and I was just like, you know, I'm so thankful that it happened that way and, you know, we were able to get that support. Look, the beauty for me during that period of time was, um, especially when I started to go through my chemotherapy and my treatment and obviously I lost all my hair and um, it was quite confronting from a physical standpoint. I remember Julie saying to me, if you're going to go through cancer and you're going to lose your hair, well, God damn it, you're going to be the best dressed person in that clinic. And she literally took me on a shopping spree and ended up buying me all these amazing clothes and headscarves and you name it. So that I would have this level of like confidence going through the treatment. So um, that was a bit of like fun, I suppose, a bit of a... Well, retail therapy, right? Yeah. We always, we've always <laughs> loved shopping. So, you know, I guess you turn to the things that you, you know, you have found comfort in before. So it was, you know, the least I could do was be there and try and support her. But it was, um, yeah, it's a journey that no one wants to go through. But I think Sally, like, I, I just have so much admiration for how you went through it. Like you literally worked every single day, like besides going in for your chemo, which I think happened weekly or mm. every second week, you would literally just go back and go back to work. Trooper. Yeah. A second part to that is, Sally, how has your life and attitude changed since going through something so huge at 28? That was a really defining moment for me. I think um, I remember walking through those doors and seeing, you know, Peter McCullum Cancer Clinic. And I literally stood there for a moment and I said, when I walk through, I'm either going to walk through a survivor or I'm going to walk through a victim. And that changed my mindset, not only for that period of time, but for the rest of my life. And I think that no matter what happens and what challenges or roadblocks are presented to you, it's like, well, is it really that bad? Like, you know, can you persevere through? And I remember at the time as well, my mum saying, like, never forget that no matter how bad you have it, someone else always has it far worse than you. And that's always been my mindset. So I don't get upset easily. Um, you know, I, if I if I get knocked down, I stand right back up. Um, and so that's been a real, yeah, a, a, a really special time. Um, bizarrely, <laughs> in my t in my time and in my life, um, and I think that it's made me a much stronger woman um, for it. All right, all right. On to a question from George: How long did it take you to develop the app, and did you have MVP first? Well, this one's a question for you, really, Sal, because yeah. when you first came to me, you were already, you know, you kicked off the the process to build an MVP. Uh, look, I was really shocked. I thought um, starting an app would be as easy as starting a website. I had no idea until I was well and truly into it, um, too far gone, to realise how different, how far more complex it is um, and how much more time it actually takes. So we had been working on the app um, for you know a good year prior to actually launching it into market. Mm -hmm. um, and that was even like a good chunk of that was actually even in the product build itself. 
Yeah. So essentially, yeah, we launched with an MVP in November last year. And then we essentially, we ship new iterations and features every two to three weeks. So in the background, we have sprints and we're trying to get as much done in those new sprints because we've got an enormous roadmap of um, new features and things. And sometimes they might be minor and you might see small changes and there's some really big changes um, that come out every, you know, kind of couple of months or so. So for example, in May, we launched our cashback offering. Um, So that, you know, now you can get cash back. It goes directly into a wallet in the app. You can see it. And it just is really fun. Like, I love that whole experience um, in the app. So we've got some big things coming soon, which I can't wait to release. Um, And, yeah, I mean, the MVP is strong enough to keep building on. It wasn't a kind of sometimes people build something that's really short-lived just to trial the user experience and feedback, and then they build it again from scratch. It wasn't that scenario. It was a decent um, investment in the first MVP. But it was the quickest thing to get to market and then just keep iterating from there. Uh, Yasmin wants to know, do we do any mentoring? So we did have this female founder grant that we did earlier in the year together with Samsung. And um, we gave away, it was two um, prizes. They were a $10,000 grant uh, along with $10,000 of Samsung product and uh, mentoring from both Sally and I. So there were two winners of that and we had mentoring sessions with both of those winners. One of the things that I'm most passionate about with our app is that we can assist retail businesses. And so probably the best thing that I feel we've done to date, or my favorite thing that we've done to date, was the Festival of Her, which we did in March to coincide with International Women's Day. And we listed and celebrated just female-founded businesses, and they each gave a retail incentive to drive, you know, retail, um, you know, sales for their own businesses. And it lasted for two weeks, and that just went viral. Like hmm. we didn't have any marketing dollars to put behind that festival, for example, and it got nearly a million views on Instagram alone, just because nearly every female-founded business that participated, shared it. Yeah. Um, and we just had so much fantastic feedback. Lots of people jumped on and shopped those businesses, and we're going to do it again. Because... And it was really great to see the faces behind the actual brands. Like, to actually put, you know, the the female forefront and centre for us was really important. It's something that we'll continue to support. Yeah. Um, So what Sally's talking about there is that in the app, rather than just having an image of that brand, we actually had every founder's photo next to it. So you could see the actual person that you're supporting when you purchase through that business. Yeah. It was super special. Okay. The next question is from Brooke. When will you be available on app stores outside of Australia? So definitely on our radar, right? But um, Mm -hmm. our goal is to have uh, our next market uh, open by... July next year. So this financial year, we've got so much to do just in Australia and we're really focused on those plans. Um, And it's like literally this year is flying by. So it'll be here before we know it, but we cannot wait to obviously um, expand globally and it is definitely um, in the works. Yeah. Which one of you is the boss? (laughs) Well, considering I am the eldest twin, I would have to say me. (laughs) Are you talking about as a question? Are you the boss in life or at work? Well, maybe it's a bit of both, right? (laughs) Look, um, I think like uh, we're really fortunate in the sense that um, this time around we're less precious, don't you think? Like we are are literally less precious founders and I think that it's not about who holds the title of CEO or who gets to call the shots. We kind of are equally the boss and decision makers. We really just soundboard each other and um, make the right decisions. 
Yeah, I mean, I um, don't really care about titles. I care about like what we are trying to deliver and the mission. Um, so I think that yeah, we just don't even really discuss it. We we just work on we more focused on what we need to do and and the result and the outcome and what needs to be achieved. Yeah, but in life, Sally's definitely the boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go into some quick fire questions. What's the next purchase on your shopping list? I need a handbag that can fit my laptop because I take it everywhere. I'm going to go Prada loafers. Ooh, I like that for you. I know, so do I, thanks. If you could only wear gym wear and sneakers or nice clothes and heels for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Easy, I don't do heels whatsoever, so I'm going gym gear and sneakers. Sneakers too. Guilty pleasure. Uh, Magnum Almond. Really? Well, mine would be Netflix, like, crime documentary. (laughs) If you weren't doing her black book, what would you be doing? Definitely something scientific. Nerdy. Yeah. Um, I would be continuing my criminology studies, which I actually stopped in order to do HBB. What's the one thing that I do that annoys you the most? Oh, you're notoriously late it's for so any meeting. Not true. You I'm are, sometimes late. You are always late when it comes to meeting me. <laughs> uh, like on a weekend, I need to seriously <laughs> call ahead if I'm going to be one minute late. <laughs> I actually, oh, I didn't say what annoys me about you. What annoys me about clearly nothing. You? Let's just keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally that um, she'll call you on the dot. <laughs> If you're late, like literally it's 12. I think like Sally should put into like meetings, it's not 12 o'clock, it's when the clock strikes 12. (laughs) That's when you must attend. Uh, Would you rather have the ability to be invisible or ability to see the future? Seeing the future. Same. Sure. Yeah, same. A quote or saying you try to live by? Uh, For me, it is that um, people do business with people. So, you know, keeping in mind relationships are key. Um, it's a bit of a long one. Is that allowed in a quick fire? Probably it's a story not. about... <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, it's a story. It's a story. <laughs> oh, God, um, here we go. <laughs> there's a story about... Okay, look this up so it doesn't take too long. It's a story about a farmer and a horse. And <laughs> the moral of the story <laughs> is that you don't know whether something is going to be good or bad until enough time has passed. That wraps up this episode of The Flipside with Her Black Book, powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. Don't forget to download the Her Black Book app to discover more from your favourite brands. Thanks so much for tuning in.